This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. In this episode, we take up the conscience of the king. Compliance. The final frontier. Tom Fox is the voyager of trekking through compliance. His mission? To explore the original series and seek out and share what it can teach you about compliance. Here's your host, Tom Fox. The Menagerie, Part 2, Start 8, 3012.4. In Part 2, the tape recording show continues and it shows Pike confined to a cell. He discovers that the Telosians are illusionists capable of making a man see anything they wish him to see, and telepaths who can communicate without speaking. The Telosians wish, wish Pike to remain on the planet as Venus' mate. Meanwhile, the crew of the Enterprise beams the ship's power down to the surface in a fruitless attempt to blast through the mountain where the Telosians seem to disappear with Pike. However, this had no effect, and the Telosians continue their mind games with Pike. The Telosians reenact Pike's encounter on Rigel 7 in his head, but they add Vena. In this enactment, Pike kills the beast who is attacking them and then is returned to his cell with Vena. Vena tells him that the Telosians retreated underground after a war 2,000 years ago and have developed stunning mental powers. She also reveals that she is a real human and not an illusion. Pike discovers that the Telosians cannot penetrate primitive strong emotions with their telepathy. The next virtual reality trip for Pike and Vena is at Pike's farm on Earth, complete with his horse, Tango. As Pike uses this opportunity to scheme, Vena has the Telosians shift venues to a Roman court, with Vena playing a part of a green Orion dancing slave girl. Again, Pike does not cooperate. Meanwhile, a landing party of six from the Enterprise beams down an attempt to find Pike, but only number one and a female yeoman actually arrive. The Telosians now give Pike a selection of specimens for starting a human community of slaves. Instead, Pike uses the phasers brought down by the landing party as bait and captures one of the Telosians as he tries to recover them from a sliding panel in the side of his cell. Pike fires one of the phasers through the wall, seeing no effect, but forces a Telosian to show him the hole which was produced or, or else have the non-functional phaser tested on his head. Pike and the women escape to the surface, but it turns out that it was actually the first part of the Telosian's plan to repopulate the surface. The Telosians learn of Pike and humankind's unshakable hatred of captivity, and this forces them to let the Enterprise crew go as the humans appear too violent a species for their need. Before Pike leaves, he discovers that Venus' beauty is illusional, as she is actually severely deformed in the Columbia's crash and put as she was put back together by the Telosians. All of this is viewed by the court-martial committee on the Enterprise. However, when the tape is complete, Mendez disappears, and it turns out he was an illusion used to distract Kirk from regaining control of the Enterprise. Kirk and the authorization 
Kirk with the authorization of Star Trek, who have also been viewing the images from Talos IV, permit the now-disfigured Pike to transport to Talos IV. All charges against Spock are dropped, and the Enterprise continues on its way. Kirk speaks to Spock about a tendency towards flagrant emotionalism, but Spock quips, I see no reason to insult me, sir. I've been completely logical about the whole affair. So what's the fun fact for today's episode? That parts one and two of The Menagerie won the 1967 Hugo Award for the Best Dramatic Presentation. This episode was fascinating on many levels. Uh, Number one, you got to see Kirk in one of his most flirtatious modes um, early on in the show, and you got to see a uh, Shakespeare. So how can you go wrong when you've got uh, a flirting Kirk and Shakespeare? But there's some fairly serious topics that are uh, discussed here. Obviously, in uh, the current uh, unstable political climate, the decisions made uh, to literally uh, life or death over uh, certain individuals can uh, be quite chilling and, uh, if made arbitrarily, can lead to uh, true anarchy and disaster. So uh, the political component probably wasn't as prominent in the 60s as it is now, uh, but given the uh, chaos in the American political scene, it's, it's uh, something that you should definitely think about uh, as well. And then the conscience part, uh, because remember the title is The Conscience of the King, and eventually he is tired of running. And uh, it turns out he's been running while his daughter has been killing uh, the remaining survivors who actually saw uh, Kodos, the executioner. Um, and then his daughter truly is uh, insane uh, with her love for her father, but she goes insane at the end, and she believes that he is in the great uh, universe giving performances as uh, Lear or some other Shakespearean character. So we have a a mental health angle uh, on this as well. But the overriding uh, theme for me in this is retribution and how uh, literally going back to the ancient Greeks and the Furies, do you garner retribution or do you let justice run its course? Unfortunately, justice was here taken the form of the daughter accidentally executing her father. Uh, But if you look at Riley, uh, he is talked out of uh, trying to execute Kodos uh, as well, or Caridian uh, as the actor. And certainly Kirk uh, wants justice uh, to take its hold on this. So for every CCO, remember, you're the holder of institutional justice and institutional fairness at your organization. Next up, compliance takeaway. So what are the compliance takeaways from this episode? The um, Actually, I think there are several. And the overriding one is, when does a leader step over the line from business to personal? And here I thought of Barclays CEO Jess Staley and his um, attempt to unmask an internal anonymous whistleblower. 
uh, under the facts of that situation, one uh, of Staley's key lieutenants had been accused of drug use by an anonymous whistleblower. Staley went to corporate security and tried to ask or ask the corporate security unmask the identity of the whistleblower. When that didn't prove fertile, he then directed a uh, investigation be occur, uh, engaged in by uh, the company to uh, track down mailing addresses, physical mailing addresses, and phone numbers. Obviously, all of this is uh, illegal. It did occur in the United Kingdom, but it uh, violated company law, it violated UK law, violated US law because the US Postal Service was actually involved or at least contacted to try to track down this. Why did Staley do it? Well, uh, he said it was to protect the reputation of a good friend. But clearly, uh, not only did he engage in unethical activity by trying to unmask the whistleblower, he pushed his company to engage in illegal activity. Uh, and this was clearly a situation where um, a leader stepped over the line from business to personal. Uh, Staley was sanctioned somewhat by the Financial uh, uh, Commission in uh, Authority in the United Kingdom. He received a $500,000 fine. But it really speaks, I think, to a greater character issue that he was willing to go to such lengths to um, protect a personal friend uh, when clearly uh, the company was potentially at risk. Uh, a simple drug test would have been enough. Um, uh, even senior executives are subject to random drug tests, at least in every corporation I've been aware of. So um, when a leader steps over from the business to the personal, I think a company runs the risk of really losing focus, moving to unethical behavior and perhaps even illegal activity. Uh, number two, um, in this episode, uh, the actor Anton Caridian basically admits elliptically to Kirk, and but certainly to his daughter, that he is tired, and he is tired of um, playing the role of Anton Caridian some 20 years after he ordered the execution of the colonists on Tarsus V due to a catastrophic um, um, uh, food failure. And the um, so when can you ever be sure about a confession? Uh, was the confession coerced by Kirk? Kirk certainly thought at some point uh, he had Caridian in his sights, but even Kirk could not be sure. So when, when can you ever be sure about a confession? Do you need cooperating, corroborating evidence? In this case, the corroborating evidence was going to be a voice pattern, but even the computer could not be 100% sure, as uh, Spock pointed out several times to Kirk. And finally, uh, what's the difference between an investigation and a root cause analysis? Well, a root cause analysis is, uh, first of all, an investigation is to determine what happened. The root cause analysis is to determine how or why it happened. Uh, it's simply the, uh, the different types of questioning you, you would use, but they're both very valuable tools. The Department of Justice had made, has made clear in the most recent Evaluation of Corporate Compliance Programs 2019 guidance that both strategies need to be employed if your company is finds itself either under an FCPA investigation or internally feels that there may be a potential violation. And here, uh, the root cause analysis of why was explored at some length uh, by Mr. Spock. Uh, and it was actually Spock who 
uh, I thought raised the, the almost human issues of the radical nature of uh, uh, Kodos's uh, decision to execute colonists so that uh, some would live, some would die, so that some would live. Basically, executed half the colony in short order before uh, relief ships arrived with additional food stuffs for the colony. And that discussion, I thought, was uh, not only uh, interesting, but even moved towards troubling. So uh, lots of really to think about in this. Uh, are really interesting. If you like Shakespeare, it, it doesn't get much better than this, as they did Macbeth, as they did Hamlet, as parts of uh, the uh, play. So I hope you'll join me again tomorrow for our next episode, which is The Balance of Terror. This is Tom Fox. Thank you for listening. If you enjoyed this episode of Trekking Through Compliance, you can help it grow by sharing it with the biggest Trek fan you know. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com. <laughs>